Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. Uh, my name is Michael Columbus. I'll be your host today. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today, I am excited to introduce everyone to uh, Megan Lynch um, from Six Point Creative and Ruth Lund, president over at the Legacy Center. So welcome. How are you? How are you both today? Doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Michael. What I what I like to do is um, allow each of you to take a, a, a minute or two to kind of talk about your journey and how you ended up, you know, working in the space of, um, you know, working with family business leaders and uh, multi-generation families. How did that come about for you? So, Megan, would you mind kicking us off? Sure. Um, so I started Six Point Creative in 2007, just as the, the market was crashing. And, um, and we grew organically for a few years just through doing good work and providing good value and through our own network. And it was really in the past couple of years that we've started specializing so we're a brand strategy agency um and we we started specializing in um what are known as second stage companies so uh, so companies that have survived startup and have you know kind of gone along much like we had when we started up and you start to kind of create a brand and a reputation and start to build build organically and then at some point you just kind of get to a plateau and kind of what got you here won't get you there and you have to reinvent yourself and it was kind of what we went through as a company and I started to realize that um, that companies in my peer groups including a lot of family businesses were experiencing a lot of those same pains and frustrations and so obviously we look at it from a brand strategy standpoint um, but a lot of the patterns and, and frustrations of companies who have kind of hit those plateaus are, are the same. And the more I started to see the patterns, the more I was like, oh, we could totally help these companies. And right now they're not being particularly well served um, or being like thoughtfully and intentionally served. And, um, and also there was this feeling of also like, these are my people. Like they're trying to build something that lasts. They're not kind of falling into this like entrepreneurial fad that we have now of like, let's spin something up and sell it. Um, but instead they're really trying to build a legacy to build something that's going to endure. And I think when you're doing that, 
there's a different kind of consideration that you have to make and a different kind of strategic headset that you have to have. And, um, and it was just, I think just a lot of fun working with people who their hearts and souls and families and everything else are really tied up in the success of our work. So the stakes feel higher, which feels more exciting. Um, and also the work feels more impactful and real, I guess. Nice. You know what I, what I like, and I'm excited about having you on here on the show is because a lot of times we bring in the family business expert and you come at it from a, a totally different perspective for us. And it's more on that brand side of things. Um, but yet you've been exposed to family businesses and the dynamics so often that you have that unique insight to say, you know, what do we do from a branding perspective? So welcome. Thanks for sharing with us. Thanks. Ruth, you're up. Tell us about yourself. How did you get working in the in this field? Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. So the Legacy Center is a firm that comes alongside business owners, business leaders to help them uh, bring some intentionality, some measurement and process to how they're shaping the culture that's in their organization. And so, um, as you can imagine, um, our, we actually grew out of a holding company. Let me back up a little bit and say our work grew out of a holding company where the CEO was really looking to build an authentic values-driven culture. We, we didn't want to have just words on the wall. Uh, we wanted to make sure that across our 50 locations in the U.S. and Canada, our leadership was really growing in more in deeper alignment um, in how they behaved and did they actually have the skills and capacity to walk the talk with our values. And so we brought measurement and accountability, but also development, you know, so here's what's working, here's what the gaps are. And we actually began to see over years, we measured for, while I was in that company, we, we measured for um, seven years and they're still measuring today, by the way. Um, but, but measured the consistent growth toward higher cultural health and values alignment. So it was really working. And we knew that there had to be other business leaders out there that were trying to get their arms around their culture. But, you know, where do you even start? And so being able to bring some kind of metric that really had some, that brought some clarity to what was happening in the organization around the values and then, you know, move toward it became really, um, really powerful. And, and then the last thing I'll just say is, as we put our shingle out back in 2014 to share this work with other business leaders, um, it's no surprise that uh, some of our clients have been family-owned businesses. These are people who having you know, deep values and tradition in their businesses reflected is very important to them. And as they're preparing for that next generation, sort of trying to codify what, what is it really about what has made us so special? What do we want to hold on to? And then obviously that next gen opportunity to then say, and where do we evolve to? What do we, you know, how do we hang on to what is so critically um, secret sauce about us? And then what's that next evolution as well? And so, you know, being able to foster those kinds of healthy dialogue has been, uh, you know, part of the work that we do. Nice. So the, the two of you have worked together before, correct? Did I get that right? So we are launching, we are launching, actually we're in the midst of it, of a, a collaborative offering that is marrying the, the 
the measurement and, and the illumination of a value, the values-driven culture within organizations? And then how does that authentic culture then transcend into the brand that you're putting out there in a deeply authentic way? So it's kind of that marriage. And we, you know, Megan and I share uh, a lot of, of really bedrock philosophical um, concepts and, and we just thought we would put this out there and, uh, and see if there's some, some help that we can do in bringing that to other organizations. Love it. I, I just think that that's such a unique offering to, br to bring together. That's why I wanted to make sure that, that's, that I had that right. Um, I remember reading in, I think it was the Ernst & Young, the EY Family Business Report from 2019. And I, I may get this wrong, but the M&M &M Mars family, um, just, you know, how values driven they have been for generations. And, you know, the, the focus on, you know, the values in their relationships with their employees, as, you know, throughout the family and with their vendors and suppliers, it was really important that, you know, that they, you know, send them across the, the entire section of every part of their business. They would rather lose money than give up their values and in, in, in what they were doing. So thank you. I, again, thank you. Looking forward to this. Um, the, the title of today's show is called, you know, how to avoid the three things holding most family businesses back. Um, would I be letting it out of the bag if we just kind of talk about those three things first and then we'll dig into them each one a little bit deeper? Sure. Um, Good. Yeah. I mean, I think at least in what, what I see with family businesses and kind of when they're trying to break through a plateau and kind of figure out, okay, how do we keep this business thriving? How do we keep it growing? How do we keep it relevant? Um, a lot of the things that, that are really holding them back from making those transformational brand strategy decisions and kind of those leaps that are going to really get them from, you know, one stage to the next stage are fear. It's a lot of fear of customer loss, a fear of tradition, a feel of we're going to lose who we are, which again, I think is one of the reasons why, you know, it made sense for us to partner with Ruth of like, you know, figure out who you are so that you don't lose it. Um, and, and, and fear of making a mistake because, because the changes that we're often helping companies make are not things that you do every day. They're things that, you know, happen maybe, you know, once or twice in the lifetime of a company, even if that company is, you know, 60, 100 years old, um, that you don't rebrand very often, or you don't reposition yourself very often, or you don't do major launches really often. Um, so, so that, that fear of messing things up, um, you know, losing the legacy, losing what we've built, kind of being the one to kind of drop the torch, I think, are big real fears that all business owners have, but I feel like at least I've seen being especially prevalent in family businesses. So, so fear is definitely one. Um, I think ego is the other that, um, you know, especially if there's like an owner founder involved that there's this, you know, again, a sense of like, you know, I'm, 
I have to kind of like hold tightly to this. And if I let other people in and let people make changes that somehow, um, you know, I'm going to be diminished or the company is going to be diminished in some way. And, um, and it just becomes again, more about an individual or multiple individuals in the company than it does about a common vision for the future. And then the, the third I think is, is, is kind of the interesting one where it's almost like opportunity, too much opportunity can actually hold people back. I think particularly for entrepreneurial visionary types, you know, and I speak for myself, like I see opportunity everywhere. And our, a lot of our clients are like that too, of like, you know, every, every person needs their product. Every company needs their service. They could help everybody with five bucks in their pocket if they would only let them. And, um, and that kind of seeing so much opportunity stops you from focusing. So that kind of like, like seeing too much actually can can really like not let people focus which then again becomes really hard to make transformation or to make decisions or give people guardrails uh to figure out what to do next makes sense and i uh i know some people maybe that have you know fallen trapped to that themselves so i, I appreciate that and that's the moment we changed to say we only serve family-owned businesses it was one of the scariest decisions that I ever made. It's also been the most fruitful and meaningful and impactful. It's really, really changed, you know, who we are. So that's great. Ruth, why don't you, you know, uh, take off, you know, where do you want to jump in about fear and ego, you know, and the involvement inside of the family business? Well, you know, Michael, Every organization has fear and ego and lack of clarity to greater and lesser degrees, but how it relates to a family owned business is, you know, I would say sometimes it's much more emotionally tapped um, and there's a lot more complication around being able to have the important dialogues to uncover, you know, what's what's really at the root of this fear based behavior that we're seeing, you know, what's at the root of and are we seeing you know, ego coming to the fore and tamping out the reality conversations, you know, are we getting too scattered? And so having mechanisms where you can kind of uncover what reality is in your organization. And we really, we hold to the mantra that reality is our friend and anything less than that's gonna hurt us. You know, you and I were talking earlier about um, a book that we actually bring forward to some of our clients. It's called Integrity by Dr. Henry Cloud. And I love the subtitle because he gets right at it. Um, the subtitle is the courage to face the demands of reality. And so when you're doing culture work with a family owned business, what you're doing is creating a safe container to take a look at what's some of the reality pieces around fear-based behavior, around ego, around lack of clarity. You know, any of these things that are basically mucking up the wheels and not allowing you to soar um, as an organization. And so we're, we're really big into just creating healthy, safe, uh, productive conversations. And obviously, when you've got all of the layers of family involved, um, having someone to help create those safe conversations, and I'm sure in your work, you know, that's a big part of what you guys do too, 
is you know to you know to create that safe container and really get at it you know what's getting in our way what's the reality we got to look at great megan you and i when we were when we spoke and you know got introduced to one another um again i am really intrigued about the by the brand piece and so the the thing that i remember was you talking about the the product labeling you know how or the you know the way the design it was grandma created that yeah. and i think that feeds right into this fear and the ego and and you know peace do you, do you mind sharing that story or you know can you pick up on that yeah sure um so uh, we again we worked with with number of family businesses over the years and and at one point all of them were startups right like like kind of doing the bootstrap thing and you know creating the the brand and the marketing and kind of the reputation of the company with whatever they had and so often by the time we're working with companies they're the symbols of who they are, their logos, their colors, all of those things have gotten kind of wrapped up in that legacy. But, you know, we were working with a family business, you know, just this past year. And it, it was interesting. Like we knew that they were a family company. We knew that it was a second generation and we knew that they were, you know, looking for some pretty aggressive growth over the next few years but it wasn't until partway through the process that we learned that um, that their mom had actually designed the logo that we were being tasked with updating. And so it's it's one of those things of like just not knowing quite how loaded <laughs> things are that it's like, oh, you know, we think we're making, you know, design recommendations, strategic recommendations about what's going to sell well at retail to make this package really pop and to communicate well with customers. And to this company, like we're basically saying like, you know, this thing that your your mom created was is not effective, it's not good. Um, and without even really knowing that we were saying that. So um, I think it's where, you know, understanding that that you can take the essence and the dna like we do a lot of work with our clients to figure out like what is the dna of your company and by dna we're talking about like do not alter like these are things that are sacred that you can't touch that must live from one generation to the next of this brand like they cannot change and we can if we know what those things are and we can talk about them and kind of hold them out and all look at them together, then we can figure out creative ways to allow kind of like, let's say the spirit of this logo or some of the elements of the logo to persist. Like in this, you know, it was, it was a very round logo that was problematic because it was so tightly designed that you couldn't like unpack it and use it in different ways. You couldn't have a horizontal treatment or a square up for, that would read well for an icon and social media. So what was created and made sense, you know, again, 20 plus years ago, just doesn't work in today's design world. It doesn't meet the needs, but we could take kind of like the concept of a circular shape and pull that through and make their label round, even if the logo isn't round anymore and keep the color intact and keep some of the elements of, of the logo uh, that are still there and try to keep, um, 
you know, kind of elements of the personality intact. So I think that if you can identify what is so critical and have that open conversation about what, what don't we want to see lost, what are we afraid of is going to be lost in this generation and, and creatively work on solutions to make sure that that stays intact, you can have a lot more successful evolution that doesn't make people go like, oh no, you've changed who we are. Like that's not us anymore. And instead right. have a conversation, so. I love, I love it. I think, you know, one of the things that I remember through branding and marketing classes that I've been in before is you, you need to make sure that your look and feel fits in the category, but still stands out. And yeah. a lot of times, you know, because I'm not a design person, um, it is so difficult to understand what that means when you're actually putting together the look and the feel and, and whatnot. And when somebody who understands those things gets it and, and, and lays it out in front of you, it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's awesome. So I, I really appreciate, you know, the, the thought that you're bringing to all of this. And then, you know, when you're doing it with the family business, how do I take, you know, what are those, as you said, the DNA, the do not alters, and how do I, how do I bring them? And I love that. I wrote that down just so you know, when I look away, it's not because I'm, you know, not interested. It's I'm these, that's a writer downer, I would call it, you know, that's great. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that the one other thing that I would emphasize is that that there's sort of like the design expertise and the branding expertise that's absolutely critical to kind of, you know, just respect that it's something that like, again, this business doesn't do every day. It's not their skill set, and, you know, it's a specialized expertise. But then there's also the empathy piece that like, these things are real and they are emotional and they can't be taken lightly. And I think that that's where we saw family businesses and these second stage companies being not necessarily intentionally served where it was like you know this you know brilliant design agency with you know that can do gorgeous art comes in and gives a company something that solves a design problem a technical problem but doesn't resolve that emotional tension and then as soon as that design agency turns their back their work might have been great but it's not going to stick because people are not happy with what they've created and they haven't done that process to create that buy-in and kind of un unpack all of that. So as soon as they turn their back, all the work that this company, you know, maybe they, you know, spent a half million dollars on this rebrand. And as soon as it's done, they're undoing the work that they just invested so much time and money into. And so it's like crazy, like, oh my gosh, if you're going to do this once, like, do it in a way that's going to stick. And I think the only way for a family business to make that stick is to acknowledge the real true, you know, emotion and tensions that are existing um, that, that are important. It's not, you know, it's, it's not silly. It's, it's real. So, you know, no, it's very real Ruth, you know, what, what I'd love for you to pick up is when we're talking about culture within the business, it's both, important to understand culture both internally and how your culture is affected externally, right? 
And so, you know, so when you're talking branding and what, what's jumping in my head right now is companies that have changed their logo and changed the brand look and feel. And it wasn't from the internal side that there was, you know, a mess. It was on the external side and, and customers saying, you can't do that to our logo um, because there must have been a connection with them, with the culture and whatnot. Correct. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, um, you know, as far as the brand image, you know, really signifying to them something, because it is something emotional, it's behavioral, right? It's what they have experienced from that company as a client, as a customer of them. And so you're shaking um, something that's more than just a visual. You know, it's the same idea as what Megan was talking about, that emotional pull to an image with, you know, that a family would have. But if we've created a really great dynamic and it really is all about, it is about values and behaviors, but to them it's signified by this iconic looking brand. And so kind of under the surface, what they're, they're probably asking is what else has changed? You know, we loved you for this and who you were and how we experienced you and you know, you're changing that look is something else. And they might not even realize that. So, you know, it's probably a subconscious emotional reaction is what else has changed? Uh, because we loved you the way you were. Love it. When you're dealing with, you know, families and again, your culture and your values, and you know, that's where your focus is. Do you want to walk us through a little bit more of like, you know, why is that so meaningful for a family business? What are the, you know, some of the other aspects um, that people would want to be you know, evolving in their brand, in their culture? Why is that so important? Well, you know, we, we started this journey, as I mentioned, as we kicked off this, uh, this conversation with the idea that if we're going to really run a values-driven organization, we need to make sure we're walking the talk. And I would further that by saying, if we're going to put that out there into the world, not just internally, but externally, that this is our DNA, this is who we are, um, you know, you really better be walking the talk and monitoring it. And so being able to be intentional, Michael, about, uh, and, and this is what some of these great brands that we have talked about earlier are doing really well, is they are super intentional about making sure they're not drifting toward a culture and toward these values. They are going after it hard. They're creating deep advocacy within the organization. They're, they are asking their clients and customers, do you experience this from us? So they're, they're checking their assumptions and then they're closing the gaps. So they're, they're really doing the hard work. We, we really don't drift toward a healthy culture we drift in the absolute opposite direction. And so sure. you got to go after it. Do you, do you have an example of a company where you could pull that together for us? That has done it well? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, one of our current clients um, that we're working with now, this is a great example of this, of it of actually working because it was very, very complex, a roll up company, um, had a, got a new owner, a new investment group in it, new CEO at the top, a, a very, because of it, it was a roll up, a lot of different um, uh, 
leadership styles and values at play in the organization. And over time with, you know, first of all, gaining clarity on, you know, here's who we are today. And then here's, here's the pieces we want to preserve. Here are the things that we need to do better. And so getting very clear about and resettled on why are we here on this planet? Why are, what are the values that are going to take us together into the future that we feel are authentic to us? What are the behaviors? Um, they, have, they have been working for five years, and now they have a measurable reflection in their organization that they're actually, they've moved into that direction, and their clients are seeing it too and reporting back on that. So we, we see it actually works and happens. But it, it's, like I said before, it takes a lot of discipline and intentionality and commitment at the top of the organization to do it. Because sometimes there's some hard decisions. You know, again, when you think about this with a family-owned business, when you start getting data about your culture, um, about what's being experienced and what's being asked for, uh, you know, you have some hard decisions to make, but it really ushers in those critical dialogues that are there um, but, but if we have data that can help rise them up or raise them up in a safe way, we can start dealing with them and actually moving the needle. Great. Yeah, I think it's so important, you know, that the, the leadership team is checking in with not just the employee, you're not just with their customers, but the employees as well to make sure that you're, you know, are we referable? Are we doing the things that we say that we're going to be doing? And I love the fact that you're, you're data focused on those pieces to make sure that that's happening. Um, something popped into my head as you were talking, then I went on the, the think for just a second here. It, it was the opportunity piece. It was the, um, Megan, let's, let's start being kind of shift over there. What I'm, what I'm thinking about is, uh, that's what it was. When we're talking about companies that have a brand, a values-based brand, you follow me? And the culture is really focused in on the values. If it's done properly, then a lot of the opportunities should be shifted away or, you know, be able to sift through them because they may not fit you know, the, the values and the brand, and it would help to, to talk about those things. So Megan, would you, is that a good place to jump in about that? Sure. Even in terms of getting some focus on what kind of work the company's doing or what customers might be right. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's one of the things that will take a, a bloated marketing budget and make it highly effective is when you could get that focus and you get clarity in what opportunities are right for your company and the, and the people who are the right opportunity, the relationships that are the right opportunity will start to kind of self-select and be attracted to you. The people who you want to hire, who would be the people who, would, who you would like kill to have work for you will all of a sudden now be knocking on your door and saying like, I see what you guys are doing here and it looks really cool and I'd like to be a part of it. And, you know, you get opportunities to hire people who you, you know, could never recruit before or take from your competitors. And you, and you start to really kind of like sift away all of that money that you were spending to just cast that really wide net 
and have to sort through it in the sales process or by testing out relationships and having failures, all of that waste goes away. And you find that like every dollar you spend on branding and marketing and sales starts to have such a higher return on investment, which, and I think that that's where culture and brand start to really have bottom line impact that like we see companies that have strong brands will have, you know, double the revenue of, you know, competitors who aren't running these campaigns. They'll have, you know, double the profit. They'll have customers who are less price sensitive. They can do, you know, price increases or they're, you know, they're not losing business to competitors because of pricing issues. Uh, people will pay more, you know, for the brand and the experience and the relationship because of this emotional benefit that they get from it, this feeling of like, I get this company and they're like me and I want to be associated with them. And I think that's true for B2B companies as much as it is from B2C companies. We've, we've seen it on both directions. Love it. You know, and, and in this world that we live in today, people are talking ESG all the time, ESG investing, you know, environmental, social, and governance. And, you know, at what you're talking about, you know, both of you, when you're talking culture and values, do not shy away from them today, right? You, you really want to be digging in and, uh, and sharing that with, with people. Ruth, yeah. you look like you, you, you go yeah. ahead. I you're, want to you're, in let, there. Me, let me at this one, love it. Well, because you know, this is something that Megan and I really feel strongly about too. And this is why there's been kind of this, this collaborative marriage um, moving forward is, yeah, there's great opportunity and there's a lot of hunger out there to be working with values-driven companies that really have multi-stakeholders at heart, not just the bottom line. But if you start doing greenwash, you know, if you're starting to put something out there that really isn't who you are, the amount of damage that you can do over the long haul, because it bubbles up, it's going to become very clear that there's you know, this doesn't match anymore. And certainly your employees inside know it. And what is worse than feeling like you're working for a hypocritical organization and the misalignment that that generates and then how that cascades into employee engagement and lack thereof, et cetera, you're not going to get the best and brightest. But once your clients and customers, you know, kind of uh, poke around with you enough to realize that all of that that language and that beautiful marketing package is really not who they are authentically. It's a big blow up. So we feel that the authenticity piece, and that's what, you know, attracted Megan to having a conversation with me. And we saw, you know, man, make it real. And then it's a win, win, win for everybody. Love it. And it's, you had talked about making sure that, you know, both of you had said you're walking the, you know, walking the talk, right? And, you know, one of the things that when we're working with, with family businesses, we call it actions to live by. And so it's like, you know, you're always talking about your values. You're always talking about your core purpose beyond profit, but are you, what are the actions to live by and, and how are you recognizing people and how are you helping that become part of the DNA throughout the organization? So yeah. that's, uh, yeah. And I think it's also where, you know, again, as, as a brand strategy company, you know, one of the things that we look for is, you know, what is true about this company and how do we connect that to what a customer values? And 
all of that work is for naught if they have the kinds of experience that Ruth is talking about. And just to go back to like the fear piece, I think a lot of what companies are afraid of and what leaders are afraid of is like, oh, our competition is going to eat our lunch or there's going to be some fault with the product or the service and, and we're going to lose customers because of that. But if you look at the data in terms of like why people, what, what, what drives customer loss in a business, you know, those are like single digit numbers, like six or 7% but the interactions with the people in your organization is like 60% of the loss. So if you don't have, if people come in for one brand experience and then they have a relationship or an experience with a person who does not back up that promise that you've put out there, chances are they're going to walk away. Like that is how you lose people and, and lose customers that you've again paid so much money, worked so hard, put so much time in to bring those people in, like you've got to keep them. And the way you're going to do that is have the external message aligned to the internal message and make sure that that is carried through and completely consistent in every interaction. And so. Love it. No, we, we call that the customer journey. And we're really pushing people on a regular basis to map out the entire customer journey so you can look to see you know where you're where you're going Here, here's a i learned this i don't know if you're familiar with joey coleman at all but he wrote a book called never lose a customer again and you know in working with joey what one of the things that we did was um we put up you know the big post-it you know board sticky papers what do you, you know the, the easel paper and we did them for each section of the customer journey and then then post-it notes to say, what do we do in each of these different sections? And what was really interesting was when you did this, and I would, I would imagine that if you do this in any business, if you've never mapped out the customer journey, all of a sudden you see these great big groupings in three or four different areas of the customer journey where you do a great job and everything's good, but then there's all these other areas in the customer journey where, ooh, we've got some holes and maybe we should get some of these post-it notes, you know, and, 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 and items over to other areas. And that goes right back to what you're both saying, right? You know, that brand integrity really means something and making sure that it's all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. We often use um, a tool called the brand, the brand touch point matrix, where you're talking about kind of where are your most personal and your longest lasting touch points with customers and prospects. And to really, when you're trying to figure out how to prioritize work, you know, especially around brand and marketing, to really prioritize the investments that are highly personal and that are long lasting, at least in today's world, which could mean five minutes. Um, <laughs> but, um, and that that though, like anything that falls in that quadrant, you really have to pay attention to. But so often our attention is put on the things that are not in that quadrant, the brochures, the, you know, sell sheets, the, you know, capability statements, you know, even your website. It's like those, you know, instead it's like, you know, how is that product or service delivered? What are those frequent touches that people have? What is customer service like? Which takes branding away. You know, I know we started the conversation with logos, but but the logo is really the the symbol 
of this experience, this emotional experience and emotional relationship that people have. It's kind of like what people put their good feelings about a brand or bad feelings about a brand, what they attach it to. It's like a, a just a symbol. And, right. but it's, you have to create that experience and, and really curate that experience very, very carefully. And I think especially now, you know, Ruth and I were talking the other day with somebody about just like, you know, the fact that we are in such a transparent and interconnected world right now, it really, you know, it used to be buyer beware and now it's seller beware, you know, it's totally flipped, you know, that, that the customer really has the power and they're going to get that message out. You know, it's, you know, your brand is what other people say about you. It's not what you say about you. So. Yeah. I, I have a, a neighbor who just started a competitive business to like 1-800-GOT-JUNK. That's, you know, that type of thing. And he shared with me that he has had people call up and asking for a discount. Otherwise, they're going to post a bad review in this social media or that. I'm like, my God, you're held hostage sometimes. So, you know, one of the things that I'm working with him on is to come, you know, combat that ahead of time. He's had it happen two or three times already. So it's like, okay, so how do we get in front of that so that it doesn't happen, you know, and align it with values and, you know, put those pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's crazy is sometimes it's like, it's like the little things and the weird, um, you know, kind of segments of your business. And I love, you know, like we do the customer journey mapping all the time. And I think it's so meaningful. Like um, there's a, a company that was doing HVAC installation and they found that, what made the biggest difference in their reviews, like just totally like made people give them five star reviews all over the place was having all of their service techs put on those disposable booties when they walked into somebody's house that, you know, again, it's such this act of trust to let somebody into your house and just this feeling of like, oh, they're taking that extra bit of care to make sure that they're not getting mud on my floor that, you know, and they cost what, you know, maybe a penny a piece, probably less. Right. And all of a sudden, all these people started leaving five stars reviews and giving, you know, like giving them all this great feedback. That was the only thing that they changed, but it was wow. just a signal of, we respect you. We respect your house. We take this extra level of care, um, you know, and yeah, and it costs them nothing and they're getting all this, you know, free publicity and, and referrals from it. And, and so I think, being creative, you know, branding is not all about, you know, spending all outdoors on this really big visible campaign. It's really that attention to the detail and figuring out, you know, if I move this dial over here with this really important touch point, you know, what else could it stimulate? What is going to be the, the, the triggers and the symbols that's really going to connect with my customers and provide value for them, so... It sounds to me like what you're doing is that, you know, working really hard to get that internal and external alignment going. And, you know, one of our learning points today, Ruth, would you, you know, pick up what is, when, when we talk about internal alignment, why is that such a transforming power for a company? Well, think about it. I mean, that's a great question, but think about um, different experiences that you've had in your lifetime in workplaces, Michael, and times when you came into work and you just felt like this was the place that 
had the same heartbeat that you did. Um, you know, that the vision that they had, the, the product or service that they were bringing to the world really aligned with who you were and your own value system. And then conversely, you probably have also had experiences where, man, you just had to kind of like shape shift to go into this place and make it through an eight hour day, right? And, and all right, so what were you bringing? You were either yeah. hitting on all cylinders, right? Because you just had all of this, man, I love what we're doing. I'm in alignment. I trust them. They're bringing out the best in me or I'm surviving. And, and so when you can unleash health and alignment and clarity in an organization, you're creating this really thriving workplace where not only are they serving you better, but their life is better. You know, we talk, we talk about that all the time. And I think family-owned businesses, this is an important element to them too, is creating a workplace where people are really growing and thriving and being able to bring their best. And, and when the day is over, they're not going home and kicking the cat and, you know, being, you know, there's a cascading element of the health of their organization that goes past just their business performance. It's, better for society. So yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a really big deal on both an organizational scale and then a societal scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, when we work with companies who have that, who have that really strong internal alignment and everybody's pulling in the same direction and they get this like North star vision of where they're headed. And even if they're not there yet, everybody is just doing everything that they can to pull in that direction. That is when like our job becomes so easy. Like basically all we're doing is kind of like reading the label on their own bottle that they can't quite see themselves. Like they're so in it that they can't articulate it externally very effectively, but we're not changing anything. And I think that that was one of the reasons in particular why I was so excited to partner with Ruth and find her and find a company who's doing the kind of work that she's doing because, because they're actually taking kind of like the, the chaos systems and kind of bringing that alignment that again, like without that, we can't do our work. So I see like what she does as being like the bedrock to anything that, you know, a brand strategy agency like Six Point or anybody else is going to really make hay with. Um, so I think like you cannot underplay the value of what they bring. And I think the fact that they can, can actually put data behind it and numbers behind it, you know, I've always been so frustrated with, with even in my own company conversations around culture. Cause it's like, Oh, how, you know, as soon as you think you've got it, it's like people start, drifting away and you think you've got this great morale and then you know people start bad mouthing each other or whatever like how do you just keep it and work it and kind of bring it to another level and the fact that they can actually put numbers on it was like mind-blowing to me it's like yes like that's that's what i want is take this thing that's so nebulous and feels so hard to change and affect and give me some practical ways to think about it and some practical guidance of what to do. Like I've got the will, I just need the plan. <laughs> awesome. Mm. Yeah, going back to just something you know, else popped into my head about logos for, and, and the power that they have when you're talking about a brand and I'm just thinking Apple right now. Mm. That logo is, is iconic because it is so simple. 
so clean and does everything that they wanted to do. And that was, you know, that was, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, legacy was clean, simple, powerful, and, you know, unique ideas brought to the forefront. And the other one that just jumped into my head was thinking about Nike and that swish and the, and the tagline of just do it. Um, and they, those, those become symbols. They become like, you know, visual hammers for the, for the employees that are working there, the, the, the vendors that serve them and for the customer. And it just really is really unique when you bring brand and culture together. And I've really never, you know, these things are bubbling up for me right now as you're talking about them because of this conversation. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like when you can have a symbol for a company be something that people are proud to like wear on their shirt or put a sticker on their computer or whatever it is, you know, that shows that like you are doing something right. But, you know, there are also, you know, lots of companies who just never, never get to that point. And it's not because they don't have something good going on but because you know brands are built with with two things and it's like this simple and this hard clarity and consistency and if you have clarity and you have consistency then you will have a strong brand and it doesn't matter i would argue even though i'm a fan of beautiful design like the apple logo and i love you know kind of like the mac experience i would also argue that like if you have a really clear and consistent logo that is not wouldn't technically be kind of like an iconic perfect logo like we have seen a lot of examples of that over time um where it's kind of like a funky logo but it's so consistent and it's so tied in with product quality that that people are passionate about it and they like even though it's it's sort of like weird or old-fashioned or something like that it doesn't matter they it still speaks to who the brand is and they've been so consistent with it over the years that they built equity in that symbol and it would be a mistake to change it even if by like let's say you know it doesn't look like some of the fancy clean logos coming out of sort of boutique design agencies um so i also think it's where like yeah that there are some that we can kind of point to but there's nothing magical about the swoosh they've just been so consistent with it and that just do it is so clear about what they believe in and what their customers are all about that it endows the swoosh with this magical yeah. power. <laughs> I, I think of the, the green baseball hats with the John Deere symbol on them. I'm not wearing that, but those people are, if you're a John Deere person, that green and yellow iconic hat and logo, you're wearing that every place. Yeah, yeah. So. Ruth, um, clarity and consistency is what you know. Megan was just talking about. Um, talk to us about clarity and consistency with, throughout the organization when it comes to, you know, the the areas that you work on. Yeah, I loved I loved um, how Megan surfaced those two things because, as you can imagine, they they absolutely transcend over you know, into what your culture is. So if, if you're really rock solid, clear about who you are, this is why we're here on the planet, what our purpose is as an organization, and, 
uh, and you've done that heavy lifting work into clarity around these are the values that are authentic to us that we can, you know, we're going to be a little bit aspirational maybe here and there, but we're really going to say this is descriptive and we're very clear about that. And we get very granular with the behaviors and, you know, you used a different language around that, Michael, but same idea. So what do I see you doing? And, and, and that just takes, uh, you know, a word like integrity, which, you know, a lot of organizations are really hopeful that that's a, a central clear part of their, of their culture. But what does that look like in our organization? What would I see you actually doing? And then you can develop people to that, right? And, and see where those gaps might be in a very practical way. And then the consistency part, you know, this to me is what leadership owns. You know, you can't delegate this to the rank and file. Um, you want to inoculate them with it so that even when you're not there, your values and behaviors are living and breathing. But make no mistake, the consistency of leadership to walk the talk and to be always looking for, you know, are there gaps, you know, that humility that they need to really bring to the table and be able to check and see how consistent am I and are there times when it melts away and it shouldn't be under certain pressures, you know, that's, you know, those two pieces, clar clarity and consistency are absolutely as central to healthy culture as they are to a strong brand. Love it. One of the things that, you know, was shared with me just recently that we're going to start instituting in our business and within the firm is monthly reviews, which, you know, we, we were typically quarterly, but we're, you know, we're going to be moving to monthly and the, and the re review process is real simple, but you know, the first question is, do you know our core purpose and you know our core values? And, and if you, you just, you, you want that clarity, if you want those things to really mean something, you really need to start asking people, do they know what they are? And, and, and going through that. Um, the other questions that I think help in the, in this review process that I'll just share were, you know, where do you, where do you want you to go? What do you, what is your career path? What is your, what are your goals? And if we're not asking the people that work for us that question, how do we help them? And at the end of the day, you know, that really becomes, you know, the more we know about the people that, that work for us and, you know, make us look good out in the world, um, the more that, you know, that we can help them. Um, the, uh, the other two is, do you know what you're responsible for here? That's such a great question. And now, you know, it feeds into all the other things that we've been, you know, talking about. And then the last one is, where do you need help? Um, and, you know, if we're coaching on those four questions, but you know, the key again, why I brought it up was the, you know, how do we keep that alignment? How do we keep, how do we get those those things, you know, feeding through the organization. And it's not just actions to live by, but it's always talking the talk. Yeah, you know, there's a saying, nobody ever left a company because they were over communicated with. And, you know, and we, so we sometimes think, well, we're kind of being redundant, we're saying, but the reality is, is that we cannot over communicate. And to your point about how do you make it living and breathing and, and giving life in an organization, even a simple practice. One thing we do with companies is, we, uh, after we've uh, helped them clarify their values and behaviors, we, we create for them uh, as part of their internal marketing to just keep it visually alive. Um, we create these, this deck of cards 
and the cards each have a value on them and they use them to start off a meeting. You know, one of our core values in my company is servant leadership. And one of the behaviors is um, I listen first. And so as you can imagine, we, we start off a meeting, you put a card down and I listen first. How well are we doing that? How well are we seeing that? How well are you feeling that you do with that? And so we, we make it a living, breathing, in the moment dialogue that we're constantly, you're touching against reality based on what you're desiring to be. And it does, you know, simple things like that are powerful. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that you said simple. And I want to make sure that people heard that. It's, you know, I, I when you're when you're teaching a young child to do anything, it has to be two or three rules max. And you repeat, 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 right? Well, guess what? That's just human nature. We learn really well with repetition and simple. So it's, you know, if you're the CEO talking to your leadership team, three or four rules, you know, if you get to, if you have 75 values, how many values do you really have, Ruth? None, oh. right? And so, you know, keep it simple and repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's as true externally as it is internally. Like I think so often people are like, swapping up brand campaigns or adding bullet points or trying to make the message they're trying to say everything in every communication and instead it's like you know i'm constantly telling clients you know it's like you have to be sick of every ad of every tagline of like if it feels new and fresh to you then you need to run it for three more years like just keep it going um because it's yeah all of that stuff it's so critical just to keep like by the time you're getting sick of it, whether you're a leader internally or you're trying to communicate externally, is just about when people are starting to be like, oh, is that a thing? Oh. oh. <laughs> you know, they're hearing it for the first time. So I think we, like our attention spans can sometimes be the, you know, part of the problem of like, we feel the need to, to mix things up before anybody else does. Yeah. Well, we're getting hit with so many messages today. It's the most in history in terms of how many different messages and ads and things that you're seeing on a regular basis, things that are vying for your attention. And we haven't changed. We still only have 24 hours in a day and how many sleep, you know, awake hours. And some people are awake more than others. And some people are on their, you know, their electronics more than others. But at the end of the day, we haven't changed, but wow the amount of messaging has, has changed. So we need to be cognizant of that overload, I would say. Um, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up. And I just, I wanna do one thing real quick is if, you know, I always allow people to ask questions. If anybody has a question for Ruth or Megan, um, feel free. And that's, I don't see any hands up, so we'll, uh, We'll pass that along. Um, how would you wrap, wrap today up? What, is, what final message would you want to leave people with? And um, how do they get a hold of you? Um, I mean, I think for, for the work that we're doing together and a lot of what we talked about, I think people will probably have heard just very common themes between what it means to have a successful brand and what it means to have a successful culture. And I think that there are two things that companies often feel like 
are too big and they can't figure out how to change them. And it's kind of like, it is what it is. And we just kind of have to live with it. But, but I think both Ruth and I subscribe to like this combination of like, you can't change who you are, but you can evolve it and you can kind of be the best you that like you have something of value or you wouldn't have made it this long. And, right. and that there's, tools that you can use and best practices that you can use to really make that shine and have that work for you instead of against you so like if you're feeling like sisyphus just rolling that ball up the hill too hard um it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way um and i think both brand and culture can be can help you get that critical mass to just start that ball rolling on its own and, and really start to build momentum and potential in a company that that is scalable well beyond an owner founder or a leadership team or any one person. It really starts to become something that takes on a life of its own, which is just amazingly powerful. Thank you. And how do how do people reach you if they want to reach Megan? Um, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn if people want to connect with me there. Um, and then sixpointcreative.com and my email is mlynch at sixpointcreative.com. Thank you very much. Ruth, final parting words. What do you, what do you have for us? You know, as you asked that question, I was thinking, uh, you know, what, what do I really want people to take away from this? And, and I think what it is, is you will never regret working on your culture in an intentional way. However you come about that, you will never regret that. It's visionary work. It's work that um, isn't over in a New York minute. It's never ending work. Uh, it's a journey that the best leaders uh, just keep on doing. You will regret not being intentional. You know, the, the likelihood that something can occur that can really either slow you down, take you out, um, is, is pretty big, especially as we talked about, you know, what's happening with transparency in the world today. So it's, it's the right work. It's good work for internal and, you know, for how you're impacting the world with your product or service. And uh, to reach us, uh, we are at www.legacy-center.com. And my contact information is in there, but it's also rlund at legacy Center. Com. And uh, I too am active on LinkedIn and happy to connect there as well. Awesome. I want to say thank you for joining us today. You got, this was really fun for me. I hope it was fun for everybody else that was out, you know, that's listening to this. Um, my name is again, Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy. Uh, tune in in the next uh, couple of weeks for some other great episodes that we have coming up. We've got some surprises for everybody. Um, looking forward to sharing more with you in the future. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. 
Michael Palumbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.